It is good to see everyone. I, I feel like it's been a, a long time. Uh, it has been a long time. Uh, before Easter, Laura and I took a weekend off just to, just to take a break, and then um, things, uh, Lori's father uh, took a turn for the worst and eventually passed away, and we had to leave uh, over Easter for, um, for the South. And uh, let me tell you, um, first and foremost, I want to thank you guys. Uh, Lauren, I want to thank you. I know she thanked um, you earlier on in the service, but not everybody was here. But we want to thank you for your prayers, um, for your love, um, and for your generosity. And uh, we could feel your prayers. It was a a tough time, um, but it was good. We were able to spend uh, about a day with uh, Lori's dad before he kind of went unconscious after that. And we were grateful for that time. Um, And so thank you for your love and thank you for your prayers. And we missed you. Uh, It's weird not being here at Easter. for years, Easter Sunday, I've been here at Glad Tidings, and it was weird. I went to church, and, and it was uh, nice just to sit, but a little bit weird. Um, but it's good to be back, and we want to thank you guys uh, for your love and for your concern. Uh, Joshua chapter 1, verses 1 through 2 says this, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all of these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I am about to give to them, to the Israelites. This has been, uh, uh, this passage in Joshua has been a passage which has really launched us. We feel like it's been the theme passage God has given us for uh, our movement forward. God has been doing amazing things in this church, and God has made it very clear that we are to move uh, from outside sources, uh, and, and also just from within this body and what has been happening. God has been getting us ready to move. Uh, and that time is fastly approaching us. God has told us that he wants to use this church and the people in this church in ways that we can't really dream or imagine. God has told us that he's going to reach more people through you guys and through us than what we can dream or imagine. And we're already beginning to see that happen. Uh, We have prayed and we have fasted from committees to boards to the congregation. And then we voted. And everyone voted yes except for one no vote. And God has shown us this is where he wants us to go. Again, as our banners say, God is telling us get ready. Uh, We must now start prepping for this new building. Despite how full we are. Um, we continue to grow. We had 440 people on Easter Sunday. I don't know how this church holds 440 people, especially over two services, but we're averaging 300, 310 people a Sunday. And again, it's not about numbers, guys. I, I, it's not really about that. It's also about reaching people. The only reason I mention this is because I'm just saying this church is a capacity. Like, we are full. We have to get out of here. This poor building simply can't handle it. Um, and right now, we have some very keen interest in this building. I'm not going to go a lot into that. Um, at some point, I'm going to because it's kind of crazy and cool how God has been working. And uh, there's a story behind this, but technically, this building isn't even listed yet, okay? And we have very keen interest. We have a developer that's almost one, selling it himself to himself. It's, it's, it's kind of interesting, but, um, but God is moving, Anything could happen at any time right now, and so we have to start prepping. Um, Let me be clear. This church, we are not about a building. In fact, we don't want to spend a lot of time getting a building. We are about people. 
all right? Jesus didn't die for buildings, all right? He died for people. We want to get to a new building just so we can have room for the people that God is bringing here, and then we want to move forward. But what we do now is crucial. When Jesus, or when, when, when God brought the, the, the Israelites to the Jordan River, it was under new leadership. Moses just died. Joshua was standing right there. And, and God tells Joshua, get ready. Get all these people, about two million Israelites, ready for in three days you will cross the Jordan River and inherit the promised land. And so there's this massive flooding Jordan River. If you guys have been by flooding rivers, you know what they're like. They can be overwhelming. Just the sound of the water is overwhelming. Seeing debris and trees and other things rushing down the river is overwhelming. God doesn't mention to them how they're going to cross the Jordan River. He just says, hey, get ready. The promised land, what I'm giving to you, is on the other side of this massive obstacle. And so he says, three days from now. And so he tells them, basically, take three days and get your stuff together. People had to get themselves emotionally ready. They had to get themselves physically ready. Think about any trip that you take with your family. You can't just pick up and move on the spot. You have to get things together and prep. And so the Israelites had to do the same thing. And they're prepping this while they're seeing this massive obstacle. They're probably thinking, man, is this really going to happen? Is this crazy? And, and, and so they, it brought them to this point of decision. Am I really going to prep myself to do this? Do I really believe that God is going to do this? And I believe that is where we are now as a church. See, we are now in that place where we have to prep for the people that are coming. In order to, 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 to go into a new building, we have to have chairs, all right? We don't believe we're going into a traditional church building. We don't believe that they're going to be pews there. So we have to prep for the people that are coming. And so here's the infomercial, and I'm not good at this, all right? We don't do this all the time, so just bear with me, all right? This is the chair that we have to get. Now, I had no idea what goes into getting chairs. I thought just pick a color, you know, some cushions. There's fire codes. There's all kinds of stuff. It was a lot more of a detailed process than we could dream or imagine. But these chairs um, are good chairs. Um, This company, basically, this is their best-selling chair uh, because it's comfortable and it's also the most economical. But this chair costs $55, and we need 400 of them. All right? You think about Sunday morning. You think about Easter Sunday. uh, We had 450 people here. All right? So you do the math. You go, well, 400 chairs, 450 people. It doesn't add up. Well, no, it doesn't. But we had 450 people over two services. And so that's what we're aiming for. We need to prep now for the chairs um, so we can have the chairs that the people who are coming to this church can basically fill. All right? If we have 400 chairs, we have the ability to hold a total of 800 people between two services. Okay? Here's the situation. These chairs take three months, all right, turnaround time. So we have to think about this now. From the time we get them the deposit, which is half of what they totally cost, we have three months before we actually get them. We have to move now on this, okay? And so we could care less about chairs. What we care is the reason, what we care about is the reason why we have these chairs, all right? The only reason why we'd buy a chair is for the person that's going to sit in it. If there's not going to be a person sitting on it, in it, the whole, the whole thing makes no sense, right? And so as we looked at this and we thought about this, how do we move forward with this? The total cost of these chairs is $22,000. That's a lot, right? Twenty-two grand for 400 chairs. Um, that's, again, $55 and some change per, for each chair. And so we started thinking about, man, how do we, how do, we do this? And, and what came to us was, man, 
this is, it's time for the church, the individuals in the church. This is not about the leadership. This is about us as a group doing this together. And we feel like, you know what? We're supposed to tell the people, you know what? You need to get ready. You need to get ready, and you need to help us buy these churches, uh, these chairs. So what we're asking is this. We're asking that each family buy chairs for your family. Seems reasonable, right? Seems reasonable. Buy the chairs that you're going to sit in. But then we go, you know what? This church has never been just about ourselves, has it? This church has not been about, hey, it's about me coming here, about me receiving and me getting from the church and from the pastor and from the worship what I want. We understand that church is not just about loving God and certainly not about just loving ourselves. It's about loving others as we love ourselves, right? And so as we thought about this, we thought, you know what? We need to not just buy chairs for our own family, but for another family that's equal size to our own. That's loving myself and it's loving others. So that's what we're asking. We're asking that you would pray about, over the next three months, we want to put three months into this, about buying chairs for you plus one more. All right? For you plus one. So if you have a family, if it's you, we're asking that you buy two. It would be $110. If there are two of you, um, we're asking that you would buy a total of four chairs. If there's three of you, six. If there's four of you, eight. And we're leaving it at that. All right? Now, we know that this is a challenge. We know that if the Duggar family was here, if you guys watch the Duggars, they'd buy all the chairs for us because they have 150 kids, you know? So we know that if you have a large family, this is overwhelming and challenging. But let me encourage you with, with this. We don't want you to stop there. All right, now you're really getting nervous. Because it's not about chairs, it's about people. What we want you to do is not just buy the chairs, we want you to fill them. That's the real goal. To have a bunch of empty chairs means nothing, but our goal as Christians is not just to provide chairs and not to be basically taking care of ourselves. Our goal as Christians is basically leading people to Christ. So we're challenging you to make a year-long goal, not just to purchase the chairs for, for, for the people that are coming, but you make it your personal goal to lead just one other person. All right? If you're a family, lead another family. But just worry about that plus one. That one person. When's the last time you made a goal of leading someone to Christ? When's the last time you said, hey, this year I want to lead one person to Christ? Can you imagine if the 300 people that come here led one person to Christ? That's 600 people in one year. And we're saying just one person. We're told without a vision, people perish. And so we believe this is a good vision to have. Again, it's not about the chairs, it's about the people, and we have to take ownership of that. God wants us to go out and lead people who are broken and hurting to him. I hate talking about money, and first service I sat there and I thought, you know, is, is this too much? Is, is asking people to, you know, and I think about, a fa- I'm a family of four too. So I'm in the big category, all right? And you go, man, when you have kids, it's challenging. Is asking $440 from a family of four over three months too much? And I think about all the costs, and I think about all of that. And, and for some reason, Jesus feeding the 5,000 came to my mind. And, um, and when I went to try and find, I couldn't remember which chapter it was uh, in one of the Gospels, I opened up Matthew, and it fell right to it. And I just felt like God was saying something. You know, when... And it's, 
talks about this in Luke as well, where, where the disciples come up to Jesus and they say, hey, you know, there's 5,000 people here. They're tired and they're hungry. You know, let's dismiss them and let them go so they can go and get something to eat. And Jesus said to them, you feed them. So he took this massive problem and he put it back on them and he said, no, you feed them. And they said, man, we don't have enough. Like, how on earth, you know, all we have is some loaves and some fish. How are we going to feed these people? And Jesus basically said, look, you just bring it to me. As I thought about it, the temptation as a pastor is to say, you know what, try and make this easy. Somehow make this easy. Somehow make this some attainable goal so it's not so difficult. But then I really think about it, and I'm challenged by it because that's what I want to do, but that's not what God does in my life. See, in my life, and if you can relate to this, and I'm sure most of you can, if you've been following Christ long enough, you've had this happen, God will say, hey, Here's Selwyn, this is where I want you to go. And you get all fired up, like, man, God's going to do this. And then all of a sudden, between you and this promise is this massive obstacle, and you don't know how you're going to get there. It's some mountain, or, or it's some flooding Jordan River, and it stands between you and whatever God has told you is going to happen. And you're at this point where you have to decide, am I going to believe this obstacle, or am I going to believe God? And see, as a church, I think it's sometimes easy for us to sit back and go, well, the leadership will do this and the boards will handle this. But that's not what God is doing in this church. God is saying, no, this is us. We move together. See, typically what we want is we want God to build bridges over flooding Jordan rivers. And we want flowers planted next to the bridge so that we don't have to engage in obstacles. So when God builds the bridge ahead of time, then we know we can just walk through it. But that's not what God does. God says, go walk into the obstacle. So who am I to take away from what God is doing? And I want to challenge you. What you do is between you and God. We're not tracking. We're not writing down. We're not checking the finance. It's between you and God. But I want to challenge you. Do what God tells you to do. You pray about it. But don't run away from something because there's an obstacle there. As a pastor and as the leadership in this church, you don't want us to run away from the direction that God is calling us to because of obstacles. You want us to exhibit faith. We are the body of Christ. And honestly, God wants to take us to that next level. And he may be bringing you to an obstacle to say, you know what? I know you don't have this now. I don't know, you don't know how you're going to do it. But just walk towards it and trust God and see what he does. All right? Again, this is between you and it's between God. We love you the same no matter what you do. But this is how we broke this down. Now, having said this, we realize that for some of you going, man, I have 300 kids. I don't know how I'm going to do this. And others are going, man, I don't have any, any kids. There are some of you here that may be buying one chair or two chairs, and you can buy 25 chairs. You do what God tells you to do. Maybe you're here, and maybe you see a larger family. Maybe the Holy Spirit will put in your heart to go over them and say, you know what, let me pay for some of your kids' chairs. Then allow God to do that. And so if God leads you to do that, do that, all right? If God has given you and it's challenging for you, allow the Holy Spirit to move in your life. It's not about the finances. Let me tell you this. No matter what you do, God is going to provide. My hope and my, and my confidence, honestly, I don't mean this horribly, is not in you guys because I know what God is going to do. But just as Jesus put it back on, on, the, on the disciples to say, no, you do it, I believe God is saying to the church, this is your time now. You, you, need, you need to put action to where, to, to where your, 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 your mouths are. You actually need to do this. This is what we can do together. And if we can do this, the minute we get... $11,000, as soon as we get that, we can put a deposit down. And as soon as we get that deposit, we can then order the chairs, and we have three months from there. Okay? Again, this is between you and God. We're going to be doing this for the next three months. We're going to be promoting it. That's the challenge. The plus one, honestly, is about people, not chairs. But we got to have chairs 
so that the people have a place to sit. Will you join us in this? Will you pray? Would you consider doing this? I'm going to be doing this as well. The staff, we're doing this. And it's not easy for us, so we're in the same boat. So again, now again, if you have a family over four, we're, not, we're just saying four, okay? Um, and again, we understand people are challenged in different areas, and we get that, all right? So we're not going to be hounding you. We're not going to be thinking less. This is between you and God. Amen? But we got to do this together, all right? Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we just come before you, and God, you own a cattle on a thousand hills. Lord God, and, and, and God, we just thank you for what you're doing in this church and for the people that, uh, that you're calling us to reach. And, and God, we just pray, Father, that, that you would show us how to walk and how to move, Lord God. God, you know the finances needed to purchase these chairs, and, and, and God, you've called us to bring it to the, to the body of believers. And we just pray, God, that you would speak to each person, Lord God, about what you'd have them do. And would you, Lord God, help them, those who are challenged in this area, God, would you help them and, uh, and do it for them, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, I am done with that. I'm glad that's over. All right. I'm sorry we don't do good at asking for money. Um, I just feel like church has become a lot about that in some cases, and so, all right. In 1992... Uh, I was in the army, and I was being trained as an infantry soldier, and part of our training was to successfully complete uh, what they call the land navigation course, uh, which basically meant that we had to learn to read maps and navigate through diff- uh, different terrain, and a lot of it was difficult terrain. And basically what they would do is they would give us certain points or places that we would first have to find on a map, and then secondly, we'd have to figure out where we were um, and on the map as well. And once we'd figure out where we were, we'd know our starting point. You guys, this is making sense. And then we'd plot the points where we needed to go and find. Once you plotted all these points on the map, you'd have to figure out your route to get there. You'd figure out how far it was. You'd figure out the, the azimuth or the direction. And you would try and look at terrain features and other things like that just to kind of come up with a plan on how you're going to get from point A to point B. Um, this was an individual task. This was something that had to be done by yourself. Uh, in order to be trained and tested, you were all by yourself. You didn't have a group of soldiers with you. And it was to be completed in two phases. The first phase was daylight uh, land navigation. And the second phase, as you can guess, was nighttime land navigation. Now, there are many obstacles in the woods. Those of you who have been in the woods, campers, hikers, or whatever, know this. And some of these obstacles that we would, inf- we would face would be that these points, number one, would be a great distance apart. You know, you can be off a degree over a short distance, it doesn't matter much, but if you're off a degree over a long distance, over the course of a mile or two miles, you can be far away from where you're trying to get. And for us, if you're trying to find a point or a stake in the woods that's about the size of this music stand, you're off 100 meters, that's a great distance, especially at nighttime. Uh, let me tell you, there were no flashlights. There was nothing. You couldn't use anything like that. It was all completely dark because if you turn on a flashlight in a combat situation, guess what? Light can be seen from miles around, can it? And you give away your position. And so distance was an obstacle. Dense brush was an obstacle. Hills, mountains, cliffs, rivers, water, all of these were big obstacles, and honestly, even some of the local wildlife could be obstacles as well. 
it could be challenging enough to do it in the daylight, let alone the night. And as a young soldier, it wasn't the daylight course that scared me, but it was the nighttime course. How many of you have been in complete darkness? See, complete darkness is, some, is a concept that's kind of hard for us Westerners to really understand. When we first came back from the jungles of Vanuatu, and we got to L.A., and we flew from L.A. to Boston, I remember looking out of the, of, of the, the, the window of the plane, it was about 1 a.m. in the morning, and just seeing a sea of lights. And I remember just being taken back, like, man, there's so much light out there. It was, it was just kind of almost overwhelming. We had spent nine months in the jungle where there was nothing but fire and maybe kerosene lanterns and, 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 and a flashlight with a battery. But because batteries were hard to come by, you didn't leave light on very long. So there was not a lot of light. I've been in darkness in Vanuatu and in the jungles of Panama where I couldn't even see my hand in front of my face. How many of you have been in complete darkness? Nobody. Come on. All right. All right. Can work with me here. Talk to me. All right. We have a lot of nationalities in this church, and I know, especially those coming from some third world countries, you know what I'm talking about. Darkness can be tough. Even familiar paths in darkness become challenging. I've walked from the back of the sanctuary to the front of uh, to my office over here many times. I've been here 14, 15 years now, and, and I know this church well. But you turn the lights off in here, it's dark. I'll walk in the pews almost every time. Even familiar paths in darkness become challenging, don't they? And that's the truth. Well, it's the same thing in, in light, nighttime land navigation. You could not use a flashlight. You could not walk with other people. It was just you. In the day, at least you could see the obstacles. In the daylight, you could see the briar bushes and the thorns. You can see steep drops. But at nighttime... You can't really see them until you're in them. You can't see the steep drop until you're rolling down the hill, especially if you haven't planned your, your course well and you think you're somewhere where you're not. You don't know about the briars until you're in the midst of them. And when you plan your route, and your route is this way, and you come to a thick briar patch where you can barely move through, it's ripping through your skin. You don't know if it's 100 yards of briars or whether it's five feet of briars. And it's these things that can be challenging. You get bloody and you get cut and you get hurt. So briars, steep drops, you alone in the darkness, except for the coyotes. They're not much comfort. I know coyotes, I'm a hunter too, and I, and I like to hunt, but I know coyotes typically run away from you, but there was something weird, and Tim, you can probably attest to this, but at Fort Benning, when we were doing our night land navigation, I, many times at night I'd be walking by myself with my compass, and I'd stop walking, and I'd continue to hear footsteps behind me. And I would stop, and then they would stop. It was kind of freaky, right? Come on, you guys know this. You can smile. You're walking through the woods. You don't want to hear something walking behind you, right? Like your mind goes crazy at that point. And these coyotes would kind of walk after you. They would, they would just, and everybody knew this. And so at Nightland Navigation, I've got my compass. I've got a rifle with me. It's not loaded because we're training. So there's no help. It's like a big club. And I'm walking through the woods. And all of a sudden, I'm kind of just trying to stay focused on my map and my compass, and then I hear steps behind me, and I get a little bit confused, a little bit overwhelmed, because I'm supposed to focus on this, and now I'm focusing on what might be stalking me, and you just kind of, it's kind of becomes complicated, it becomes scary, it's easy to get overwhelmed. Well, one of the nights that I was out here doing this, and I was testing for this, I was standing there in pitch blackness, and I suddenly hear this crashing noise coming at me through the woods, I didn't know what it was. 
And I kind of braced myself like, good grief, is there an elephant in here, you know? And all of a sudden, this, this young soldier comes running through the woods, and he runs literally like into me, and he, and, he, and he bumps into me, and I look at him, and his eyes are the size of saucers, like they are wide. And he's looking at me saying, the dogs, the dogs, they're chasing me, they're chasing me. And he, he got so overwhelmed by the coyotes, which is easy to do, he got scared. He got scared because he heard the tracks behind him. There was something behind him that he dropped his compass. He dropped his rifle. He dropped everything that was giving him any sense of direction. And in the middle of the, in the pitch blackness, in a panic, he began to run. And he ran. And he was running through darkness, aimlessly, afraid, terrified, hoping that he would come across a road or somebody when he bumped into me. Life, for many of us, can be a lot like that. Life, for many of us, can be like that nighttime land navigation course. We start off with a plan, maybe young in life, and we kind of identify where we are and where we want to be. Whether it's a career path or family or whatever it may be. And we have these ideas set out for us. And then we begin to make our plans of how I'm going to navigate my way from where I am to where I want to be. And we start strong. We line things up. We have everything together. We have our map. We have our compass. We have our, our rifle, whatever tool it is that's going to get us there. And we start off on our path. And many of us, all of us who do this without Christ, start off in darkness. And we start off in darkness and we come up with these plans and all of a sudden something happens on our path from point A to point B. And some obstacle comes up that is beyond us, something we didn't plan on, something we didn't, didn't, didn't think was there. And we find ourselves, a, a number of things can happen to us. We can find ourselves cut up and bleeding and bruised. We can find ourselves hurt. We can find ourselves scarred. We can find ourselves going down paths that we didn't that we thought led somewhere, only to find out that they ended up in dead end or cliffs or water obstacles or briars that were unpassable. And we find ourselves, much like that soldier in those circumstances, becoming overwhelmed by the darkness and overwhelmed by the fear and overwhelmed by the anxiety and overwhelmed by the obstacles and the pain that we felt that we didn't encounter, confused and not sure which path to take and not even sure how. We got so turned around, we don't even know which way is north and which way is south. And in our panic and in our fear, we drop everything and we find ourselves like that soldier running through life, honestly, not knowing where we're going and maybe trying to wear a smile. Or maybe trying to convince everybody that we encounter that we know exactly where we are and who we are and what we're trying to do. But the reality is inside, we are terrified and we are running and we don't know where we are and we don't know where we're going. And so life for so many of us can be like that. Two weeks ago, we buried my father-in-law. And when I think of this story, it's actually a picture of his life. The truth is, honestly, if we're honest with ourselves, 
even as Christians here today, when you look at your life before Christ, you can go, yeah, that's where I was. That was me too. And honestly, some of you are sitting here and you're going, man, that's exactly where I am now. You see, for my father-in-law, when I look at this story, this, this was his life. He would be the first one. His name was Rod, but he, we called him Papa. But he would be the first one to tell you in the later years of his life that he had made mistakes. And he had some of the bruises and scars to prove it in his life. He, too, had been overwhelmed in life. He, too, had set his goals. He, too, had this idea of what was important and what wasn't. He, too, chased them with everything that was in him. But like the soldier along the way, chasing things that he thought led to something, found out they didn't and found himself scarred, found himself hurt, not only hurt himself, but as many people do in this path, hurting others along the way. What I love about Easter so much is what we celebrate. It's not about Easter eggs. It's not about family meals. What we celebrated Easter was, was that into this darkness came Jesus Christ. And into this darkness of life, this darkness of soul, into these dark paths that so many of us have walked on or maybe currently are walking on comes Jesus Christ and with him comes light. And see, for my father-in-law, we saw this happen. John chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus says this, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus is speaking to, 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 to his disciples. He's speaking to these people who understood what darkness was, because back then they understood what darkness was. He understands the difference of walking a path with light and walking a path without life. And so Jesus says, man, I am the light of the world. Whoever walks with me will not walk in darkness. We got to see this kind of happen in my father-in-law's life. I I knew him before Christ, and I knew him after Christ. Let me tell you a little bit about him before Christ. If you knew Rod Eves for any amount of time, there was a good chance that you'd been on his bad side. He told Lori at one point that she was dead to him. He disowned our whole family. He told us not even to come to his funeral. We weren't the first people he told that to. He disowned his other daughters as well. He disowned his brothers. He disowned anyone that crossed him in his path to getting where he thought he needed to go. He would write off. He went years without speaking to his own grandkids. He wasn't a man to sugarcoat anything. He was one of these guys who would tell you like it is. Right? You probably have people like that in your life. They probably don't know how it is exactly, but they're convinced they do. And they'll tell you. And that would lead to a lot of hurt. He was not one to let go of a grudge. He would take any kind of hurt any kind of bitterness like his seed, and he would bury it inside of his heart, and he would nurture it. And he would convince himself how justified he was to, to feel this way. But you guys know that anything you plant in the ground basically is going to grow. Things like this in our lives are seeds. If you plant that seed of bitterness, and you water it, and you nurture it, it's going to grow. Whatever you nurture, whatever you plant, whatever you hold close, it's going to grow. And that bitterness will grow and grow and grow. 
And so this was the kind of man that he was before Christ. Then things began to change in his life. Not too long ago, Lori and I were driving in the car. We had him on the speakerphone, and we were talking about something. And he said to me, son, I don't even know what in context his comments came. But he said, son, money isn't everything in life. And Lori and I, I was driving, paused, and looked at each other. And we had to say, did he really just say that? For him to say that was significant because for him, most of his problems with people came over money, whether he felt he'd been cheated or robbed or owed or something. And for him to say money isn't everything. This man went from disowning people to telling everyone that came across his path that he'd ever had a grudge with how much he loved them. And he was the first one to say it. He wouldn't wait for them to open the door. As I stood in his room in the hospital and his sister who came into the room who hadn't spoken to him in three years came into that room. He looked at her and one of the most clearest things he said is, I love you. And I love my brother too, my young brother who we hadn't even seen now for, we haven't seen him in, in years. You tell him I love him. And he told his older brother, I love him. And I watched them freeze in their tracks. And they, who, they're just like him. They were overwhelmed. They didn't know what, how to even respond. They just started crying. You see these tough, and honestly, in Ron's defense, he had a terrible childhood. He's just a broken man. He was broken and abused from the time he was a little boy. And, and this is how he grew up. He was just defending himself. He was just defensive. You know, and my heart breaks from, but what I love is into this callousness and into this darkness and into this hurt and into this pain. Only Jesus can come in there and change a heart like that. Only Jesus can come in there and soften such a callous, cold heart. If you had asked me years ago if this could ever happen, I would be rubbing my head going, I don't know if he will ever let go of a grudge. He'd even said one time, I... He wouldn't like to stick a knife in me. That's what, I mean, this is who this guy was. What I love about God is that nothing is impossible for him. And, it, and even though Rod was later on in his years in life when he found Christ, it didn't matter how he started his race. What matters is how he finished it. You know, and what was behind him was behind him. And he found Christ. And the man that disowned us and told me not to even come to his funeral asked me to officiate his funeral. That's how much God changed this man's life. When I think of my father-in-law, what I will remember most about him what will define his life for me will not be his past. What will define his life for me will not be the mistakes of his past. It will not be the scars or the hurts from walking in darkness, but will be his words while walking in the light of Christ. The memory I take with me is how much he, he, would, he would never say goodbye on the phone. He would just tell us, and I mean multiple times, I love you, son. I love you, Lori. I love you. Tell everybody I love them. And then he would just hang up the phone. For me, those words of love will define his life for me, even though he had a rough start in life. I share that story with you because there are a whole lot of Rod Eves in this world. 
In fact, honestly, as I'm even telling you this story this morning, there's some of you in this place who are saying, I don't know a Rod Eves, I am Rod Eves. I don't know about a guy like this, I am that soldier. I am that person who is running aimlessly, confused, lost, overwhelmed, terrified. Maybe I've convinced everybody around me that I have it all together, but the truth is, I don't. I've lost my way and I'm scared and it's dark. Some of you in this place, maybe that's not you, but you know a Rod Eves. Maybe you have him in your family. We need to understand that these people are just broken, hurting people. If you can go into their life stories and go back to their childhood and see what they've been through, sometimes you get a better picture and understanding of why they are the way they are. Sometimes it's so easy to go, I can't stand this person because this is how they treat me and this is how they do this. Man, when you understand broken people respond in broken ways. Hurt people tend to hurt other people. But let me tell you about who God is. Let me tell you about Easter Sunday. Let me tell you about Jesus Christ and how he steps into darkness and he comes, he says, I am the light of the world. And whoever walks with me will never walk in darkness. And Jesus says to us, listen, because there are a whole bunch of broken, there are millions and millions and millions of these people. You can't walk, there are billions of these people and you can't walk out of these doors without bumping into them. And let me tell you what's going to happen. When we walk out of this building, there will be some soldier, if you will, who comes crashing through the woods and runs right into you, overwhelmed and anxious about life, confused and not knowing where they're going, and God allowed them to bump into you. Was that by mistake? No, it's not. See, God knows because God loves these people so much because God loved you and me. See, you as a Christian carry a light in your life. I told you that, man, light stands out in darkness. This is so true. This is why, honestly, in, in combat, if you smoke, you're probably going to get killed pretty quickly because what happens is in, in these lines, people light up and they inhale from a cigarette. You can see that a long way away and the snipers would just tune in on them and boom. And guess what? This is really horrible to say. Sorry. But that's a headshot. That's where the head is. I'm sorry. I don't know why I went there. The army comes out of me. Anyway, so the problem is light is seen. Light is seen from a great distance away. And so like that, when you are light in darkness, you will find people. If you're in the woods and you see light, you naturally tend to go towards it because light means life. It means there are people there. All right? In your life, as you are living your life, because you have Christ in you, there are going to be people who notice you, and they're going to tend to walk up closer to you. And they might walk with you for a while, build relationship with them. This is not about counting heads. This is not about some scorecard. This is not about conquering anything. This is about helping hurting people find Christ and find an answer. And guess what? When you build relationship with them, they're going to lean to you, and you're going to be able to point into the direction of Christ. And some of you, you're going to be walking along, and you're not going to even know this person. They're going to come crashing into you, all confused and all overwhelmed. When God gives you that door, walk through it. That soldier crashed into me, and, and I thought, man, this guy's done. He's dropped his rifle. They will kill you for that. But he doesn't have anything. But I was able to say, you know what? Hold on. Calm down. 
and show him on my map where I was and where he was. I identified where he was, and then I told him where he needed to be, and I told him how to get there. He calmed down, and he walked back. That's what people need from us. A lot of times we can identify where they are, and we know the direction they need to be, and that is finding Christ. And we can point them in that direction, and honestly, we can walk with them. Do not be so busy in your life that you don't have time for that soldier who's going to come crashing into you to point them to Christ. Guys, this plus one, it's not about chairs. It's about people. I could care less. These are stupid chairs, guys. They're just chairs. I could care less about chairs. I care about the people that are going to fill these chairs. I care about them because I, I know what God can do in a Rod Eve's life. I know what God can do in the lives of millions out there. And so if you are a Christian here, I want to tell you, man, let your light shine. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 14, 15, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Let your light shine before others. So I want to challenge you, man, go out and do that. Go out there. If you can't buy any chairs, fine. Bring people. That's the most important thing. Bring people. So as Christians, I want to challenge you to do that. But my most important message today is for those of you in here this morning who are that person. Those of you here this morning that as I'm describing this soldier and I'm describing this confusion and this anxiety and this fear and this lost direction, that's actually you. And you're afraid. And you're dark. And maybe you can put a good smile on your face and maybe you can act today like everything is okay, but inside you're in agony and you're in turmoil. I want you to know that Jesus is having this message spoken today because he wants you to know that he is here for you. He says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. I want to ask uh, our worship team to come back, and I want to ask our prayer team members to come up and make themselves available this morning for prayer. If you are this person, if you find yourself feeling like you're running through life aimlessly, maybe you start off with an idea of where you wanted to go. And maybe you found yourself getting there. Maybe you got to that point, but it wasn't what you, what, what you thought it would look like. Maybe it wasn't as, 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 as bright or as, as cheery or as exciting or as good as you thought it was going to be. And you find yourself empty. Maybe you got overwhelmed. Maybe you got afraid and you've dropped your compass and now you're just running afraid. I want to tell you, if that is you, only God is your hope. Only God can give you direction. Only God can be your real safe place. Only God can be your peace. And only God can be your joy. And if you're here this morning, you're not here by accident. You're here because God wanted you here. You're here because God saw you and he knew you would be here. And he wants you to come out of that darkness and grab his hand. And he promises you this, that you will never walk in darkness again. If you will grab his hand and hold on to him, not only will you not walk in darkness again, but you will never walk alone again. That he will take you by the hand. He will walk with you. He will place you on the path that he has for you. And you will achieve the goals that he has for you. So you were born with a purpose. You were born with goals defined by him. And he knows how to get you there. 
And if you will grab his hand, he will lead you on those paths that take you where he wants you to go. And in that, they may look completely different than where you thought you'd go. But in that is joy. And in that is peace. And in that is healing. And in that all those bruises and all those cuts and all that pain, they begin to heal because in him there is healing. That's why he came. That's why he died. That's why he rose again so that you and I might live. He knows about your darkness. He doesn't want you to live in it. I want to tell you, it can end this morning. It can't. It doesn't have to. It doesn't have to be your life. It doesn't have to find you. It doesn't matter how long you've been in this. It doesn't matter how messed up your race has been. What matters is how you finish it. There is no sin big enough that he can't forgive. There's no sin bigger than what he defeated on that cross. It doesn't matter how messed up it is. It doesn't matter how cold. It doesn't matter how, how terrible it is. Jesus can make it right. Let me tell you, if he can do it in me, he can do it in you. If he can do it in my father-in-law, let me tell you, he can do it in you. There is hope and there is a future and it only comes through Jesus Christ. Can I ask you to stand to your feet? I want to pray and I want to pray first and foremost for those here this morning who are struggling. If this is you, I want to pray for you. But I want to ask you to do something. If this is you, and you want to accept Christ this morning, if you want to surrender over that darkness to him, and you want to walk in the light, then pray this prayer with me, all right? You can say these words. If you say them, they be, and they don't come from your heart, they mean nothing. But if they come from your heart, then he will hear you, and he will step into your life, and some things he'll take care of immediately, and some things it'll be a bit of a process that he'll walk with you through. But he will set you free, and you will no longer be alone. If you pray this prayer with me this morning, I want to encourage you, come and tell someone about it, okay? I would love for you to come up and pray with someone up here. And please, if you feel compelled to do that, don't let, like, pride keep you from doing that. Don't let pride keep you uh, walking in the darkness. But if you can't do that, grab someone before you leave and tell them so we can walk with you, so we can pray with you, so we can kind of call you and be with you, not to harass you, just because we want to see you do well in this. And then after that, this altar is open for you. If maybe you're a Christian and maybe you've veered off the path, maybe you're a Christian, you need fresh fire in your life and fresh direction, or maybe you're sick and maybe you're hurting, you want prayer, these altars are open. So I want to pray for you, and then I want to open up these altars, and Tim's going to close us in um, a song, and then we'll go from there. Lord Jesus, we just come before you this morning. And God, I want to thank you for coming, Lord Jesus. I want to thank you for coming. We recognize that you are the Son of God. We recognize that, that you saw us in our sin and in our darkness. You saw us walking a path, Lord God, confused and afraid. And God, we thank you that you were not okay with that, that you wanted to come and, and you did come to forgive us and to set us free and to bring light to our paths. And this morning, we bring before you our darkness. We bring before you our sin. And God, we, we ask you to forgive us for our sin. God, we ask you to forgive us for chasing the wrong paths and going after the wrong things, for going in the wrong direction. God, you can see every hurt in this place. You can see every pain. God, you can see every wrecked relationship. And God, we bring those before you and we ask you, God, would you forgive us? God, would you heal those wounds, Lord God? Would you heal those relationships, Lord Jesus? And would you set us free? Lord Jesus, I... I come to you this morning. I ask you to forgive me and to wash me. I ask you to come into my life and to set me free that I may live with you for eternity and walk
walk with you, God, that you would light my path and you would take me to the desired place that you have for me, Lord Jesus. So would you come into my life? Would you forgive me? Would you set me free as I surrender my life to you? Have your way in my life, I pray. If you prayed that, I always want to encourage you, come up here and pray with someone. Let someone know you prayed that. And I always want to close the service. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you, Lord God, for the Christians in this place. Lord God, for every person in this place. God, I pray for those who, who, who just need a fresh touch from you in their lives. God, I pray that you would just ignite their hearts, Lord God. Give them a fresh zeal for going out and making disciples, Lord God. And lead them to these divine appointments where they can speak life to those who are lost and broken, Lord God. God, I pray that you'd give them wisdom and give them the words, things to say and things not to say, Lord God. Lead them just to relationships, Lord God, with people that they can walk with that are hurting and lost and broken. God, I pray for those who have family members like this who have been, who've given up on them, who have been hurt by them. God, that, that you would just bring them fresh confidence in your power and your authority, Lord God that there is hope, Lord God, for these folks, Lord Jesus, and we can be a light in their world, and we ask you to use us, Lord God. God, I pray for those who are sick in this place this morning and struggling. Would you heal them, Lord God? Would you meet them, Lord God, where they are? For those financial situations, for those family situations, for those marriages, Lord Jesus, God, you know the details of our needs. We lay them down before you and ask you to have your way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We love you. These altars are open. I encourage you to spend some time with God. Have a great week, and we'll see you next week.